drama and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. Ja. The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. The Heather McCoy Show. And welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, I'll be joined by one of the members of the Nevinsfield ground crew, Dave Merce. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, good to be here. Good to be here. Um, so, um, a mass stranger apparently leaked you documentation of the Inglewood NFL proposal. Uh, what did you learn within those pages? Um, you know, the sorry, we're, we're this has been like a uh, a crazy, crazy last few days of <laughs> <laughs> um, of stadium stuff. So I like have to go back and, and rack my brains for the uh, for the. For the Inglewood details, I mean, you know, the, this is this whole issue around um, whether or not the money that Inglewood would be kicking back, like tax money that Inglewood would be kicking back to um, San Cronky, would be money for things that the uh, city would be paying for anyway, or uh, money for things that they really wouldn't be. And it's not still not entirely clear, but I mean, it certainly looks like there's the possibility of um, a whole bunch of money that's going to be going to things that normally would not be city responsibilities. You know, especially things like shuttle buses and other you know stuff that's more amenities and not uh, really roads. And that's the piece that extends for potentially the whole 30-year uh, uh, you know uh, course of presumably what you have for a lease or for the length of uh, a bonding issue. So. Um, well, I guess there's no bonds in this case. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it looks like there's definitely going to be some money. It's not just what the what Inglewood has been claiming, which is that, oh, you know, don't worry. You know, we're just shuffling money around, but this is things that we would have to be paying for anyway. You know, this is this is letting letting Cronky off the hook for something. How much it costs, I don't think we can tell yet from the from the you know two paragraph description in the in the letter of agreement. Yeah, one of the questions is, like, if a landowner splits up his parcel and puts, like, mixed retail in there where there wouldn't be streets, you know, as is, Hollywood Park doesn't really need any streets going anywhere because it's just, like, a solid landmass. But is it the responsibility of the developer or the city to put in, like, more streets if the developer splits up his parcel to kind of more uses than what it's being used for? Exactly, you know, and that's outside the scope of my knowledge, you know. And also there's the question of, like, what is common practice versus what's actually legally required, you know? Yeah. It's possible that it's not legally required, but that, you know, cities tend to do it anyway because it's kind of considered something you do if someone's developing it. I don't know, and I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to research uh, uh, far enough to figure out what, you know, how much of this should be considered a subsidy. I mean, there's a point at which figuring out what the subsidy is a little bit more art than science, um, and I think we're starting to reach that here, but <laughs> you know, we're still—it's still reasonable to say that um, there is going to be something of significant value given to Cronkie in this deal. Whether it's fifty million dollars of value or three hundred million dollars of value, um, I will leave to uh, 
either better minds than myself, or at least minds who uh, have more uh, experience in, you know, land use issues in California. How does the tax and communal financing work within this proposal, and what does it mean that quote public services is calculated for thirty years instead of five? I don't, I didn't quite get that. Uh, yeah, so the the tax and communal financing it's not officially a TIF district, right? Which is where you take all the new tax money and just hand it over to the developers or a portion of it. It's kind of an informal TIF where it's like, well, if you get enough tax money in, combining property taxes and sales taxes and all of that, then after the first, you know, I think it was, was it $25 million? Um, the, uh, you know, the, out of the, I don't want to say surplus, out of the money above that amount, um, the, you know, Cranky could, could uh, take money out of that, public money, back um, and use it to pay for, for some of his costs. The, the public service thing, the, the reason why it's five years versus 30 years is, um, the in in the announcement of the deal, they were saying, well, you know, this is going to cost um, eight million dollars a year, which over five years would cost the city forty million dollars in lost tax revenue. But there's no reason, particularly, to limit to five years. The, the agreement doesn't limit it to five years, and they can, you know, keep taking money out after five years. Again, from what I can tell, according to the agreement. So conceivably, this is something that could go on costing Inglewood for many, many years down the road, which is how you end up with some of those higher cost figures. Okay, so one of the other odd things that I don't think anyone has asked before is, why does Dan Conkey seem to be okay by taking a lot less public money in Inglewood than the almost $400 million put on the table to him in St. Louis? Is it because he sees a future of stadium building less as less capacity, more luxuries, like what the Dolphins are currently doing with their stadium upgrades, and the L.A. market has a lot more of those one to ten percenters in St. Louis metro area? That is an outstanding question, and I think we don't know the answer um, because nobody has asked San Kroenke, and if they have, he's not answering his phone. <laughs> um, the, but, you know, it's, it's clearly not because L.A. offers a tremendous cable deal, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not like you can sell more tickets because you can sell the same number of tickets wherever you go, right? It's the most most uh, uh, NFL teams sell out most of the time. So is it because he thinks he can make money off of the development and somehow the football team will help uh, will help you know football stadium will help get that approved? Is it because? Um, he thinks that, uh, you know, like you said, there's a bigger market of rich people in uh, Southern California who he can sell high-priced tickets to and, you know, the right to have valet parking and go into private clubs instead of watching the game <laughs> from their seats. <laughs> um, you know, is it, or is it something else? You know, is there some other, is, you know, PSL sales? Or, you know, is, is there something really about Los Angeles that um, makes it that lucrative even if he's not getting a huge amount of, public subsidies, or is he just bluffing? And that's entirely possible as well, you know? Yeah. All we know so far is that he's said, hey, I bought the land, I have an agreement to do this. And, you know, he has not made any public statements about whether, this, you know, how he's going to fund it, about whether this is a better deal than St. Louis. At this point, he's just hanging back and waiting for everybody, you know, for St. Louis certainly to keep uh, upping their ante. Um, and presumably at some point he has to make a decision um, or he has to sit down with the NFL and they all have to make a decision. But, um, you know, right now we have no idea what he's planning, you know, and it could be, uh, you know, this is the, the piece that I just wrote for Vice Sports this morning is, 
um, how do you tell an actual move threat from a bluff? And when you're in it, it can be difficult because they say the exact same things, whether they're serious or whether they're just, you know, making stuff up. Did you see the LA Times piece about uh, Stan Kroenke? It's kind of a character profile, and they kind of make him into kind of not reclusive in the kind of crazy sense like Howard Hughes, but they just kind of make him mysterious. Like he can vanish and doesn't talk. And it's, I don't know if you saw that or not. I did not see that, but like it certainly fits with everything that I've been hearing about him, you know, is that he's, he's not crazy, but he's just very, he plays stuff close to the vest. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, And I think this is, this is absolutely, you know, typical of him that he's, he's, you know, sitting back and waiting for everybody to to bid for his, you know, for the services of his team, which is very smart. Um, you have to wonder if at some point it's going to come back and and hurt him. If you know he really isn't making any statements, and the news stories start to be, you know, where's Stan Kroenke? What's he, you know, what is he really up to? Instead of how can we give him lots of money? <laughs> um, but we're not there yet, so, you know, presumably at some point. I mean, he, he was very savvy with the way he announced the Inglewood deal, right? He uh, had his, part, his development partners announce it um, the week that St. Louis was coming out with their stadium plan. Um, so he's, he's definitely, you know, from the perspective of, you know, is he doing the most to try and extract the most public money he possibly can? He's definitely playing it smart. Um, I, but like I said, I don't think anybody pretends to know whether he's serious or not because, you know, we don't have the financial documents that he does. We don't have the marketing projections that he does. And we don't know whether L.A. is really going to be worth it, even if he has to put up a billion, a billion, point two, you know, $1.2 billion. Well, the funny thing is you don't have to play it smart. You could be Daryl Katz. That's, that's the funny thing about being a sports owner. Oh sure, you can just lock into uh, you know an opposition that will uh, will fold at the at the merest mention of a move, um, or you can you know uh, you know just be good enough at bluster, right? You know, I mean, this, it's sort of it's sort of like Nixon's madman theory, right? Where <laughs> if the Soviet Union thinks that we're going to blow them up, then maybe they won't attack us. Um, there, there's definitely something to being, you know, the the crazy sports owner who everybody in the legislature says, "Yeah, man, we don't know what that guy's up to. You don't want to cross him. <laughs> you know, we just better just build him a stadium, or maybe he'll, you know, <laughs> move out tomorrow." <laughs> I thought that was called mutual self destruction or something like if. Russia... No, 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 that was different. No, oh. there's, there's two different ones. The mutual assured destruction was if we have enough weapons to blow you up and you have enough weapons to blow us up then um, nobody will launch any weapons because it's, it creates a stalemate. The madman theory was completely different. Which was <laughs> oh. that literally Nixon was telling his staffers to spread the word, man, our guy's crazy. He would <laughs> blow you up in a second. So you better not, it was around Vietnam, I think, and, and, and Southeast Asia, where it was like, you know, you better not uh, mess with him because this guy would just push the button anytime. <laughs> wow. That's uh, uh, our our, le- our American leadership, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Izod Center in New Jersey, definitely not in St. Louis or in Inglewood, is currently losing about $85.5 million a year. The New Jersey Sports and Expedition Authorities and the devil ha- the Devils have made a deal where the Izod closes for two years. This potentially is a conflict of interest, not just because the Devils has a competing uh, arena, Prudential, just up the street. But also shutting it down will help the competition in Jerry Jones because he owns the services contract to the Prudential Center. 
Um, right, and he's, yeah. and he's apparently pals with Chris Christie, who's a yeah, governor and Yeah, Bridgegate 2, question mark? <laughs> really, anytime Chris Christie does anything, you have to wonder if it's Bridgegate 2, just because <laughs> the guy seems to have an inability to... You know, Stan Kroenke is the guy who plays everything close to the vest, and... <laughs> You know, Chris Christie is the complete opposite. Chris Christie is a guy who can't order pizza without it becoming a statewide scandal. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the, some of the backstory here is, right, the, the Izod Center used to be Meadowlands Arena. I think it was called Continental Airlines Arena. It was the Brendan Byrne Arena. It's where the Nets and the Devils played originally. Um, and it, you know, did a decent business, despite being out in the wilds of New Jersey. Um, I mean, it, literally the wilds, the middle of the swamp. Um, it uh, you know did a decent business when it was just them and Madison Square Garden and NASA Coliseum competing for business, but in the last few years, first the Prudential Center opened in Newark, and then the Barclays Center opened in Brooklyn, and suddenly you have five arenas in the New York City area, and you know New York City's big, but it still can't you know support that many arena you know dates for sports teams and concerts and all that, so you know the Izod Center which is run by the state of New Jersey, for a while, you know, made a whole show. Oh, no, don't worry, we'll find other things. We'll have monster truck shows and circuses and concerts and whatever. And um, quickly found, as I think everybody who knew the arena business expected, that there was no way they were going to break even on that. So they took this $2 million buyout to basically shut down right now. And even two years from now, the next two years, they're going to just spend, like, staging this crazy mall and amusement park that's, being built next door that's been in the works for 10 years, and it went bankrupt and changed names and changed owners. And then when that's done, the arena might reopen, but they've agreed now at the Prudential Center to um, limit it to, like, you know, only long-run things like Cirque du Soleil, basically stuff that's not going to compete with, with the Prudential Center because Prudential Center doesn't have the dates to have something there for, like, you know, three weeks at a time. Um, and on the one hand, $2 million isn't much of a payoff to agree to pretty much shut down your arena. On the other hand, the arena was virtually shut down as it was. I mean, it was, if you look at this calendar, there was very little going on there. Um, so really the lesson here is that, you know, the state of New Jersey should not have been <laughs> encouraging the devils to build, uh, build the Prudential Center in Newark because it, you know, without having some plan for the ISOD Center because, you know, arena glut, and is always a danger, and you always have to figure that stuff out. Um, so, you know, poor planning by uh, by New Jersey, but I guess they're they're uh, making the best of it now. Well, how does like shutting it down save eight or eight point five million dollars? Because unless you could just don't do anything to it and let it go to rot. Uh, like the oh, Astrodome. Oh, yeah, no, that's exactly yeah. what you do. You know, you, do, you turn the lights off, you don't have any staff, you don't, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's, Fortunately, it's not, you know, it's not like the Pontiac Silverdome or something where the roof is going to start falling in. Um, you know, it'll, it'll pretty much sit there for a couple of years, and, and probably, you know, you'll need to do some, a little bit of repairs when you, when you restart it. Um, but it won't, uh, it won't completely collapse. Okay. Um, and, you know, it sounds like they're not particularly planning on anything for it for the future. I mean, my guess, to be honest, is that eventually they'll tear it down, you know, or, or gut it and turn it into something else. Like, you know, the old Houston Rockets, arena i think is now a mega church and um probably one or two more there's the the pyramid in uh memphis is that right yeah um where which is now going to be a bass pro shop um there's all kinds <laughs> of crazy ideas out there for how to reuse arenas um i don't think either of those would work very well in the new york area but maybe the 
world's largest Apple store or something. Yeah, well, like a Bass Pro Shop with a hotel, I learned this morning. Um, there you go. You know, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, people, actually condos. There you go. Put condos there. Interior of the Izod Center and just turn it into condos. New Jersey Nets-themed condos. That would be pretty awesome. I was surprised uh, reading about the Atlanta Braves uh, legal brief they submitted in the lawsuit over Cobb County bonds not being used as a public purpose was so weak. From my non-legal perspective, this seems like a super, super simple case. You charge a mission to go to the game that goes to a private entity, not a public use. Done. But I'm sure it's more sophisticated legally than that, or is it? I, you know, I assume it's more sophisticated legally than that, although from what I can tell, the sophistication just goes as far as, well, everybody else is doing it, so we should too. <laughs> um, and that was kind of their argument, yeah, right? Yeah, it you was. Know, was. Was, hey, everybody, you know, courts and legislatures the world over, at least the U.S. over, um, all consider sports to be a public use, even if it's by a private entity, So because the public can go in there. <laughs> you buy a ticket um so therefore we should get to as well and i would hope given that this is in georgia state court and none of the presidents are are from georgia um that the court will at least um you know take this to trial and we'll we'll uh we'll rule i mean it's, it, it's, it's already gone that far right so but i hope they'll at least rule on on the merits of this thing and not just say uh say uh you know oh well you know all the other courts have said this, and, you know, if all the other courts are going to jump off a cliff, then we will, too. Yeah. Um, and in other news, in addition to your writing, Harry Shears' show always talks about how Olympic stadium spending is a white elephant. Um, is the fact that the part of the Boston's bid for the Olympics includes, a, you know, quote, temporary stadium, meaning that um, it's going to be torn down after its construction? Has more people have come to this conclusion? I'm sorry, more people come to the conclusion that the Olympics are terrible? Yeah, well, it's a terrible... Well, yeah, they're full of white elephants for as far as, like, uh, land use and, and buildings-wise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think people have been acknowledging that for uh, many years at this point now. Even the IOC acknowledges that, which is why they always require, you know, some sort of plan for reuse of facilities um, once the, uh, once the uh, Olympics are over. That's why you saw London building, building that big Olympic stadium, and now it's getting scaled back, and there's going to be a soccer stadium for, ooh, is it West Ham? I can't remember which team now is getting it. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a bit of a fig leaf, you know? I mean, that they, the, they, they have to at least give lip service to the idea of, you know, well, we want a reusable Olympics. Um, but as you know, a bunch of architects comments in a Boston Globe piece uh, a few days ago. Um, it would cost just as much, pretty much, to build an Olympic stadium, whether it's temporary or permanent. The only advantage is if you tear it down right afterwards, at least you don't have to look at the big empty thing and you can use, reuse the land for something. Um, but the money is still down the drain. So um, I think that's, you know, that, that's the direction that the Olympics are going, right, is that they're embarrassed by big empty stadiums and people saying, yeah, see that thing? That used to be a velodrome. Whereas if it's just the money down the toilet and the land is cleared and, you know, there's something new going up there, um, then there's less of a reminder of what a waste the Olympics were. Yeah, I, when you say temporary venue, I always think of um, the Brazilian World Cup where people were climbing up scaffolding to get up to their seats. I always think of the, which one was this, the, the big Chicago exposition in the late 19th century that was like, you know, we're now in the world over, but it 
was all made out of like plaster. Um, oh, wow. So it really only lasted a few weeks, and then they had to tear it all down. <laughs> I think we need more of that these days. Yeah. Does um, what's the odds of uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Revolution, will come in and try to get a much smaller soccer stadium after the Olympics? Uh, basically, what you're talking about, West Ham and, and London's right. Olympic Stadium. Yeah, that's always a possibility that they'll try and say, hey, instead of tearing it completely down, build something that can get, then get scaled back to like 20,000 seats. Um, we know he wants something in Boston. We know he wants something you know, around that site. So it's always possible. Um, the danger, of course, is that there's still a while to go uh, for the Olympic bid before it gets decided for 2024. So we'd have to wait that out. And then if Boston doesn't get the bid, as I think a lot of people are expecting, it won't, um, then you have to go back and start from scratch. Although I guess you could always say, hey, you may not be getting the Olympics, but we can still go ahead with the stadium idea. Uh, I, I think it's pretty likely that he'll, that he'll try and you know, squeeze his way onto the agenda. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of twists and turns left before before we know what's going to happen there. Oh, definitely. My guest has been Neil DeMoss. He runs com. He joins us every week. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Sure. Talk next week. And talk next week. This is the Heather McCoy Show.